What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rollin' presented by FanDuel. Major season is here and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast, unlike any other. All right, let's do this. The fall edition of Fairway Rollin' Golf Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, joined as always, by my incomparable accomplice, our PGA Tour boots on the ground, Nathan Hubbard. The leaf rule is in effect, my birdie buddies. It's two pegs in the ground, and we are off. Nate Dog, how you doing, bud? House, you wouldn't know it from all the football news, and my Clippers and our bullets sucking in the NBA, but there's actually a lot happening in golf right now, House. Well, there's actual golf tournaments with genuine consequences for many of the participants because fields eligibility is the better way to say it for the 2024 season, which is now a calendar season, is being determined by the outcomes of these events at exotic locations like Cabo down in Mexico and Bermuda. So we're playing resort golf, but the resort golf kind of matters to some guys uh, on the outside of 125 and out the, on the outside of 60. 60 is a line of demarcation for certain eligibility into the high-paying, low-cut, no-cut events. And 125 is like uh, tour eligibility, right? Yes. Keep your card. Keep your card. Or, or so, become, uh, you know, largely relegated. You'll get some starts in the 126 to 150 category, uh, conditional status. But it's a, it's a rough go. And with all of the news in the background about potential changes that lie ahead to the tour, this is as intense 
of an upcoming week in golf as any that we get at the Wyndham Championship because there's just a lot more on the line for these guys. And for the most part, the guys who are playing this tournament have not already wrapped up their card. Every single person playing this tournament is is playing for something that matters this week. It It is fun and funny to talk about the Sea Island Mafia because you do get a bunch of these guys where it's like a, it's a home game. You have Brian Harmon, you have Russell Henley, you have Cam Young, you have Corey Connors. Like those dudes are all set. They're all playing in yeah. everything, all the big money events next year. So it has the effect of elevating the event. We have 11 of the top 50 and a meaningful number of the top 40. Dennis, Denny McCarthy's in this. Harris English is in it. Um, so we're, we're going to get some quality competition uh and there's some weather in the forecast for thursday and friday so all kinds of variable and variants which is all you can kind of ask for out of a season ending event that's going to determine career trajectory for a bunch of guys entering into the the next uh tournament year right and nobody's gonna fucking watch it I'll watch a little. I like I've I've been down there. It's it's wonderful, by the way. I can't commend the venue, the experience. I really can't say enough things about it. It is absolutely terrific. If you're a golf nut, um, the hospitality is magnificent, the facilities are magnificent, the golf courses are super fun, the weather is always good down there. It's easy to fly into Jacksonville. It's only an hour away from Jacksonville. There is incredible food down there a tremendous barbecue joint uh you know a couple miles off of campus and great food throughout the resort uh ground so i didn't know that i was going to do a sea island chamber of commerce coming in here yeah, but wow. uh, and they listen to you they renovated the f out of um the practice facility they put a giant putty green behind what was called the lodge uh, yeah, so but there's a reason a lot of these guys live there. It's a great place. I too will be watching it. I suspect the ratings will be somewhat similar to whatever the Netflix cup is that's happening right now. As right we talk. now, as we're right recording. Yes. Now they are racing from T to green. Joel Damon is being funny. Uh, Colin Morikawa has yet another back injury. Yikes. Don't like Yikes. that. Not a fan of that. Uh, and JT and Max are massively jet-lagged, having just returned from South Africa, where Max Homa put another dub on the board house. Dude, I mean, this is just... We're in the give-out-flowers portion of the program now, my Eagle enthusiasts, but the run that Homie Homa is on after... Mm coming away from the Ryder Cup with, like, the cleanest enhancement to his standing and reputation, right? Like, Cantlay had uh, a little bit of an elevation to his status and reputation in terms of the competitive golf. Might have taken a shot this week. There's a little yeah, Rory bullets. beef we'll we're, talk we're about. We're going to talk yeah. about Rory, of course. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, you know, um, cordial at, at best. Average. Average, average relationship. Maybe a little below average. But how about the homie Homa? This is the run, and let's just use this as the, you know, the 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 accelerant, the catapult, the catalyst into another kick-ass 2024. Let's see him on some major championship leaderboards, Nate Dog. After you have big moments in tournaments, every single player is like, this just makes me hungry for more. And mm. I'm gonna. But Max has always been truthful about that, not cliche for the cameras. And coming out of the Ryder Cup, in which he was the lead dog, period, Max told us, I think that I made a bit of a leap that week. The nerves were huge, but I just had so much fun. And all he's thinking about is going not the next Ryder Cup, but two Ryder Cups going back to Europe to stuff it up there, you know what's with a with a win finally on foreign soil. But what we talked about was is this 
the thing that gets Max to play his best in majors because he has been very, very open about his performance uh, up until really the, the open where he finally right. uh, put put a finish on the board that he's really struggled. And in a lot of cases, he's felt like he overprepared. We saw it clear as day at LACC, which is a course that he had been enormously successful on as a collegiate golfer. It was in his hometown. All signs pointed to Max until he got out there and just did not handle the moment that way. But this is a scary thing. Well, look, it, it's a DP World Tour event, but, you know, it, the strength of field was just as good, if not better, than Butterfield Bermuda Classic. So we, we as we enter into 2024, one of the most, and there are going to be so many questions around the business of golf, but really in the competitive nature of golf, one of the top five most interesting and fascinating stories is going to be, does Max Homa finally go and compete and win a major. Scotty Scheffler's putting is going to be interesting. Does Tiger come back is going to be interesting. We can go on and on, but Max potentially winning a major is now there because he showed us in the Ryder Cup he has the metal. I love it. I love this moment, this sort of, uh, it's not a fulcrum moment, but we're sitting on top of the last year in our rearview mirror and this upcoming year staring us in the face. And over the next month, a bunch of stuff is going to happen that will really impact mm -hmm. how that next year is going to play out. And Nate dog, I'm coming out to LA. I'm going to do it. We had such a good time together in January. We ate some great food uh, and we sat down and we did some podcasting trying to plot out how the year uh, of 2023 was going to play out. I had to do it. Again, I'm coming. I'm coming back. Let's get some some golf on the calendar. Let's get some more great food. We got to visit Capo, of course, goes without saying. Um, and let's just Who sit down no? and try and map map this sucker out. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot that's going to lie ahead, but that Max win was exciting. And we should also give out flowers. Speaking of the mental part of the game, we should give out flowers to Eric Van Royen, EVR who won down in Cabo, and to Camilo, you try his last name. Bijegas. Bijegas. Who? Camilo Bijegas. Both of whom, and this is not a coincidence, wonderful stories that deserve to be told more broadly than probably the ratings on the telecast did. But both guys who've gone through enormous hardship, EVR with his college teammate, uh, stricken ill and... You know, the, by by all accounts, uh, not doing well. EVR winning and immediately getting on a plane and going and flying to be with him, and then Camilo, of course, you know, a little better documented, losing his infant daughter a few years back and just being in the woods of golf, really unable to focus and concentrate. But in both cases, these are men who very clearly understand the hashtag perspective that allows them to compartmentalize or at least rise above the enormous mindfuck that is the sport of golf. And it is not a coincidence that these two guys, when they get into, you, you've got to work your ass off to get your game to a place where you can be on the back nine in competition. But when they get into contention, it is an easier game for them when they are able to channel the emotions into something positive and not make every putt and every swing and every bad break feel like the end of the world. I do not think, House, it's a coincidence that they both won. They are wonderful stories, but they're also a great reminder for those of us who suck much more at golf than they do about how much of this sport resides between the ears. I want to pick up on that point and then share kind of a question slash observation with you picking up on the point about the mental aspect and the ability of each of those guys to close out, you know, kind of the noise of um, and the pressure of of the moment, and instead channel it. So each of them, so <laughs> and Van Royen talked about it himself. He just threw up a twenty eight. He's like, I just, I'm just playing great, and every single thing that I'm confronted with here, 
I'm trying to win the golf tournament, so I'm just going to yeah. go do that. And just put the man suit on and did it. That's it. Vijegas, speaking of the man suit, went sort of out of turn with with Norin on the seventeenth yeah. hole and putted in a not a non gimme, <laughs> and basically it's like, hey Alex, uh, I'm in the hole. And now you must execute from off the green or you're not going to win the golf tournament. Like huge balls on that guy. And that's the right way to play it. If you come from the world that he's come from, the life experience that he's had, um, the fried egg guys, uh, Andy Johnson shared a funny vignette. He was texting with somebody uh, on Camillo's team. And the guy shared the observation. It's like, once a player gets a taste of being on TV, all they want to do is play golf and, and play to win. Camillo, you know, of course, had been doing a little bit of broadcasting here on the side over the past couple of years. Uh, he's <laughs> he would prefer to be playing professional golf. Yeah, seems. well, so, he got a taste of it, and he got a taste of the competition in Cabo, finishing second. I mean, he's been yes. playing good golf, and you can yeah. see it building. And I, I think, in particular momentum matters amongst these players who are in these fall tournaments because most of them have not been able to achieve the level of consistent success that you see out of the Schefflers and Homas and others at the Roms, et cetera, Rory's, where you can expect them to just sort of float up into the top 20, 20 top 30 at worst. These are guys who have a career because over a few weeks a year, and sometimes you get a few weeks in the fall, a few weeks in the spring, maybe a week in the... But you can see it coming. They hone their game, they focus in, they lock in, and they've got a string of results that sure as Sunday you can set your watch to them playing well. It's a really fun dynamic of golf for those of us who enjoy potentially wagering on golf. It yes. is a maddening, maddening trait for the guys who are actually fucking playing because they don't know when it's going to come. And and that was the story of both of these guys and their wins is their golf had been pitiful for quite some time. But they sharpened the game, got it into focus, and they were emotionally and mentally prepared for the moment because of their outside-of-golf life experiences. And that's just what's so wonderful about this game. It also helps that both of them had won on tour before. Absolutely. They were able to channel from the deep recesses, uh, especially for Camillo, who hadn't won in, in a decade. Uh, right. Ben Royan's and, win a little more recent. but and, and we've had a lot of those guys winning in the fall, haven't we? We've well, it's, seen... It's Luke List yeah. and Tom yeah. Kim defending and Colin Morikawa breaking down in tears because of the, the challenge of the year that he had. But yes, channeling uh, you know what it's like to, to, to win a golf tournament. I just think at the end of the day, there's that bifurcation between guys who really know how to win and guys who don't. And this fall is, just to be candid, a lot of guys who don't yet know how to win and some who never will. When you mix in a few guys who've been to that mountaintop, they seem to separate the cream from the rest of it. What I'm interested in getting your perspective on is... How do you think Full Swing, the Netflix series that has captured the second year of the PGA Tour, and you know you 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 made reference to it, the underserved, underpublicized stories of folks like er- Eric Van Royen and uh, Camilo Bejegas, just because they're playing a sport nobody gives a rat's ass about at this moment on the sporting calendar, but these are incredible stories and incredibly thoughtful characters to go alongside characters like Colin Morikawa and, and Tom Kim. And, you know, we, well, I'll just speak for myself. I was a little underwhelmed by the first season of full swing because I don't feel like I was the demographic, right? They weren't looking to produce a a narrative in connection with the 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 subject matter and the guys that um was really for me it was a little too 50,000 foot level but mm-hmm. i 
think there's such an enormous opportunity here and maybe there there will be you know some some enormous amount of these incredible stories have to stay on the cutting room floor because you know the business of golf will be the focus i don't have a guess yet right but what's right. your anticipation like what what do you imagine um this upcoming season of full swing like netflix is really sitting in this catbird seat premier opportunity vehicle to to show us some incredible stories and incredible storytelling I don't think, House, that we're going to get some of the undercard on Netflix. I, I think kudos to the tour, whose social accounts are starting to tell some of the undercard stories a little bit more in detail. Guys who are qualifying as Monday qualifiers, they're doing, you know, two to four minute uh, little bits on them. Last weekend, the Bryan brothers got a bunch of attention. Amazing. George um, Bryan, kudos. Yeah. And, and I think... I. I think that uh, is actually probably the right way to tell those stories because in many cases, they're not going to be ongoing characters who show up at majors who we can track on an ongoing basis, right? They're sort of one-off, as you said earlier, vignettes that are really enjoyable and feel-good stories and things that deserve to be told and that a few of us uh, more diehards can grasp onto and cheer for those guys and be excited, just like F1, which is doing the Netflix thing this week. F1, they're, they're people who get excited about a 13th place finish in those car races. I can get excited about Joel Damon breaking into a top 25 weeks in a row or something because I know the struggle that he's gone through and we can get excited. But uh, Netflix actually told Joel's story, of course. But there are 40 other guys like Joel Damon who actually have interesting stories to tell. I suspect that there was so much drama in this past year. I mean, it's it's almost easy to forget how the live narrative and the Rory taking bullets narrative, like all of that dominated this last year that I suspect because they didn't do, in my estimation, the best job of covering all of that in season one that there's a lot more around the drama that came of the return of Tiger Woods to the player board. We had a whole lot of interesting things happening in majors, the Michael Block at the PGA. I think it's probably going to get consumed with that more so than the, than the undercard this year. But the undercard is what, is what uh, really brings a richness to the sport. This week, we'll have countless stories, as we will talk about, that, that are going to be interesting. So, you know, we'll see. I, 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 do you expect Netflix to take a significantly different tact? I sure hope so. I mean, you are, are right. I was underwhelmed by the um, tension established between the tour and, and, and live as a, you know, as a business challenger. Um, because what we got was like eight, eight or nine different kind of like, here's who these guys are. And these are yeah. kind of the, 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 um, best guys on tour. It's like, okay, yeah. I, I got it. I know most well, we of got this. A, we got a lot of max coming for sure. Joel's got another season lined up. So I think they're going to continue the story of some of the characters that they established in the first season. But the business thing is the thing. June the 6th will forever live in golf infamy. Nate dog. When when uh, the commissioner of the PGA Tour went on national television, uh, basically unannounced, to stick both of his hands under the robes of the the his his Excellency, and talk about what a a a, a giant man his Excellency was as they uh, professed their mutual love for one another um, in the most you know tone deaf unnecessary manner forever it will always and forever go down in you know business uh case books uh as perhaps one of the worst um marketing messaging kind of exercises by uh an industry that's worth a couple billion dollars you know maybe ever top five it's got to be in top five so that'll be that'll be we'll see how they set that one up well i it will be interesting to see how they set it up, but so much right now as we speak between now and the end of the year is going to happen to end that story because 
for all of the fanfare about the announcement of that partnership, right now, behind the scenes, there are a lot of bidders trying to either replace the Saudis altogether or come in as a large enough shareholder in this new company that's going to be created so as to dilute the public and PR concerns that stemmed from that very moment that you just described. And there's more going on behind the scenes, I think, than is even being reported. I mean, we are very, very close to a decision about the future of golf. And there are really, (laughs) there are a number of paths that can be pursued. It sure feels like, as a standalone agreement, what was talked about on CNBC that day will not be where things end up. Yeah, so the Washington Post had a story out this week uh, with no Saudi deal in place. PGA Tour considers new investors. And the PGA Tour Policy Board, which includes Tiger Woods, Ed Roy McElroy, and Patrick Cantlay, were briefed on proposals set forth by multiple groups, and they're looking at finalizing. The word finalizing was used in this story. Uh, relationships with potential minority investor or investors. So that's a pretty sizable turn in direction from where we were uh, in, in in June and July. And, you know, I, I guess the intervening events of stuff like being hauled in front of a congressional committee of jurisdiction uh, has, has, you know, changed course. But more compelling to me, it seems like there were a lot of folks sitting on dry powder, people with money, who are like, hey, wait a minute. If the PGA Tour is for sale, I'd like a little piece of this. Why would you talk to me? Why do I, Why would you just talk to the, the foreign government, right? Well, and at the time, the thing that blew our minds was that it didn't appear Monaghan had pursued that. And as soon as that announcement was made, with all of the love given to the PIF, you just knew that good negotiating tactics meant you had to develop another option because mostly the the, the Saudis and PIF got what they wanted just from that CNBC appearance. And the reason I suspect that negotiations have, if not broken down, stalled a bit are because all of the key points of the deal were punted in that very short document. Exactly who had control, exactly what was the path for live golfers to come back into the PGA Tour, whether there was in fact going to be a team component to the golf or not, exactly how much and what the valuation was. All of that is the rubber meeting the road that has stalled out a bit because I think there were probably overall different expectations around what the the PIF role in this thing was going to be. And with the pressure that was applied, not just from the Department of Justice, which you and I spoke about on this podcast as soon as this thing was announced, in in, in the way in which they put it in that document, there was almost no chance the Department of Justice was going to approve it because the trail of paper around this was damning. And the previous testimony from the tour about the Saudis was damning. Uh, But all those things together mean that I think the Saudis probably negotiated pretty hard, which forced the PGA Tour to go talk to what I have been told is upwards of eight significant bidders Mm. who have been in the room in places like tour headquarters, in places like Jupiter, Florida, where a certain head of the player committee resides uh, and and pitching a new way to do this outside of PIF and in some cases, House, alongside of PIF. Because I do think the comments that you're seeing from Rory are a reflection of how people feel. They would like peace in the realm. They would like to find ways for the PGA Tour and live to live together in harmony so that it's not just the four majors when we see the best golfers in the world competing against one another. But how they go about doing that with all of the regulatory and PR pressure 
almost required that the tour go out and speak to more parties. And ESPN ran a story today. A number of other people have run a story naming certain groups who are in the mix. House, it's your boys at Fenway Sports. It's your boys at Liberty. It's your boys at Friends of Golf, which I think is one of the reasons why Randall resigned from the board to begin with. Randall Stevenson resigned from the board to begin with. There are a few uh, bidders who have not been named yet who are on, they may not be in first place, but they're on the leaderboard. They, they have a chance. What do you make of the withdrawal of Endeavor from its expression of interest from its dialogue and, and discussions here. Do you make anything of that? Um, the only let thing me that add, I... Let me, and here's the reason I ask. Those, that, yeah. those guys are serious. Those guys They're could do serious. it. They, they could, like, there's proof of concept there. They have merged, you know, effectively UFC and WWE, right? Like, like, like the, 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 those are business people. They know how yeah. to take entertainment products and 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 make them synergistic make them work yes ari and patrick absolutely do uh, know how to do that they are tremendous at that you noted something after their last earnings call house which was that ari emmanuel in the q a said that they were looking at their strategic options because the public markets were not valuing the underlying assets in the way that they felt they ought to be And I think that is the key because of all the other bidders that we're seeing, none of them are public companies. And I think probably as Endeavor takes a look at potentially going private via Silver Lake so that they can be fully valued in the right way, think about restructuring the company and getting full value for the company. That's a lot of focus and effort and energy. And if the street wasn't valuing WWE and UFC together alongside an agency, what happens when you add in golf? Does that make the story more complicated in a, in a moment in which you already feel like your stock's not being valued? So I think that that, at the end of the day, is probably why Endeavor might have backed off. Don't know that. But that if you say which one of these things is not like the other, it's the publicly traded company that's backed by Silver Lake that is potentially considering a move to go private. That's just uncertainty to a committee that's making a decision about the future of golf. All that says is that's potentially risk. So you kind of set me up here because what I really wanted to make sure that we compared notes on today at this crucial juncture, so interesting from the business perspective, if it's private equity coming in, like, what's the thesis for Fenway Group? How do they make money? Fenway Group, who has investors like LeBron James, like Rory McIlroy. When they look at this for-profit entity, this to-be-created for-profit entity that's going to hold all of the valuable uh, you know, broadcast interests of the PGA Tour, how do they tell their stakeholders that this is a good investment that is going to produce an interesting return? I think they open up Excel and they think about <laughs> what discount rate they're going to use in valuing yeah. future cash flows. Yep. And then they back into a model that yes. says, we are going to, say it with me, grow the game. The old-fashioned way. <laughs> and, and, that, and that together with a bit more rational leadership and potentially more ambitious leadership, that we can expand what golf is into the next 100 years and that there's going to be enormous value in that. I think there is a chance that they are bifurcating some of the assets in golf to create a more profitable entity that these investors go into and potentially hold some prize money out of it. We'll see structurally how they handle it because at the core of your question is this. It looked like the Saudis invested in something that could never have given a return strictly valuing it from a spreadsheet. It looked like the Saudis did this to gain access and curry favor, which was important to them. Mission accomplished. 
potentially gave them opportunities to invest in other companies at more financially rewarding terms as they seek to diversify away from a petroleum economy. That's sort of what the strategy is, and it's a very smart business one, putting aside all of the the, the hangups that have been talked about sort of ad nauseum at this point. And so the assumption was the Saudis are not investing in something that is profitable in that way. That, that I think, is at the core of your question. How can a U.S.-based investor get a return competing with that? And that's what we're yet to see. You're either going to create some assumptions that are <clears throat> aggressive or <laughs> you're going to create a structure that take some of the cost of the business out of whatever this entity is so that the investors can get a partial return. It may be the way that the Saudi money is from a preference perspective relative to other investors we're going to see. But that's the reason why right now you've got a number of investment banks, Rain and others, Allen and yes. Co., working yes. to help advise the PGA and the players on how to actually structure this. Because I think politically, they know that they need money in addition to the PIF. Politically, or sorry, uh, strategically, they want PIF money in service of peace in the realm and bringing as much as the Department of Justice will allow from a regulatory standpoint, live and the PGA Tour into harmony. How they make all those pieces work in a way that delivers financial return to somebody who isn't doing this simply to curry favor and access is TBD. And that, at the end of the day, is why this process is taking longer than was originally projected in that June the 6th conversation. Well, I don't intend to prolong this, but that is really the thing. Because let's be honest, this is a niche sport with niche interests that four times a year catches eyeballs on a global stage that are like, you know, uh, what's the worst NFL game you can imagine on a random, you know, Monday, I mean, uh, uh, Sunday, one o'clock, the Carolina Panthers against the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Look at the ratings of that game and then put it up against any of, of your majors, right? Like when you're when you're thinking about how am I going to catch enough eyeballs? How am I going to get enough advertising? Where is, you know, the 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 income coming from in terms of of measuring interest? I you know, I I I'm I'm skeptical, but these guys are all much smarter than I am and they certainly have enough money to test out a bunch of this. So Let's see how it plays out. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. On the calendar in front of us, two interesting things I want to note before we jump into our preview of the RSM Classic down at Sea Island. Um, the TGL, which is the, um, it's been announced, ESPN broadcast of a golf competition a combination of it's real golfers hitting real golf balls featuring important players like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, not featuring John Rahm because it turns out maybe there was a schedule problem for him, but six teams competing uh, on an enormous soundstage that will have the combination of a um, kind of simulator for giant T-balls, but then going and playing short game uh, on a a surface that can be altered in between holes to 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 try and replicate more undulation, different greens. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And the technology exists that you can alter the playing surface, and they're going to play shots. I think from no less than sixty yards, maybe further out even, um, and then go and and chip and putt properly 
it is uh, imagined as a thing for um, to to fill the void of Monday Night Football. So at least the first few will, I think, you know, first everybody wants to see Tiger. I think, right? And we've yes. gotten some cl- glimpses, some clips, him walking with his boy at tournaments. The walk looks pretty good. He had the, the ankle surgery. Not walking downstairs in Mexico, it didn't. No, but and, yes. and he's not walking Carrying up. in the bag uh, with Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, but that, that's right. But he's not also not, we haven't seen him, you know, walking up the fairway on uh, number eight, you know, at Augusta. So um, we'll, we'll see if that gate holds. But sure, lots of interest. It'll be a cool moment on the sports calendar. There's lots more information yet to come. We have super swaggy brand name people sponsoring uh, and owning these these various teams. The one from the Bay Area has Steph Curry and Andre Iguodala and other warriors. The one yeah. from L.A. has Serena and her husband, uh, Ohanian, right? That's his name? Yep. And yeah, yeah. And then the Boston one has the Fenway group. So, you know, more equity, more equity, more equity, um, every which way you cut it. But just a reminder that this is a, a tour sponsored tour. It has the investment in this tiger and Rory have the majority of equity in it. Um, but also I think there's been offers of equity for the participation of the, of the other guys it's turned into, I believe mainly a, uh, an event that will be competed by guys that live in Florida near enough to this soundstage because the travel is impossible otherwise. Right. Yes. And we're not going to get Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler because they they live in Texas and they don't live in Florida. So I think that's why Rom bailed out because he lives in Phoenix. Yes. And John Rom has a bunch of golf tournaments to go defend. He's the defending champion of a bunch of tournaments because of how he started off last year in Hawaii and out in, in, on the West coast. Um, but we will keep an eye open and try and have more information as this thing sort of ripens up. I'm very curious. I'm, I might Nate dog work on an invitation for us to go down there and see this thing with our own eyes. Maybe we'll have a report boots on the ground. You know what I mean? I think we have to, I will say right now, I don't give a shit about this. What? No reason to, no reason to. But I, I, I want to, and I think the way to make it really interesting will be the interpersonal, like miking more of the interactions and conversations to get to know these guys in ways that we don't when they're on a golf course. It's the whole premise. I mean, I think, you know, and so it, it will be a, a test of just how clever is professional golfer banter. Uh, hopefully there will be, you know, some professionals participating along the way. Uh, I can't remember whether it's been announced, um, who's emceeing it, who's overseeing it. So I don't want to reveal information if I'm, I don't want to be out of school. Um, but a, a, a name brand ESPN personality is, it will be overseeing and emceeing proceedings. So, uh, it will feel like a major ish kind of event. And it's being put on by television people. So as a television concept, I have look good. I hope so. I think it'll look good and, and they'll know how to make it be appealing on television. Unlike certain other, you know, professional golf things. The other thing I wanted to make sure that we circle and we're going to, um, this is so interesting to me that we're going to do more fairway rolling. It might be our end of year kind of segment. There is this, News has come out over the last handful of weeks of of Liv doing the very thing that um, was the impediment to it gaining um, world golf world ranking, ranking points. points. Yes, which is kicking people out and opening up a qualifying event for people to come in. And super compelling, the PGA Tour is like, hey guys, to its own membership, if you want to go try. Go to this qualifier and try and earn your way into this. We're not going to stop you. We're not going to penalize you. Uh, now, Liv has announced in this Live qualifier, it's the Live Golf Promotions. It's December 8th to December the 10th. It is four rounds of golf over three days. There are two different exemption classes where if you're a certain player of a certain stature, they're like, come on in. You don't have to play the first round. 
And if you're a certain player of a certain stature, I think you get ushered right in perhaps to uh, the final 36. Um, but those details will, will emerge, as will the details, Nate Dog, and this is what fascinates me beyond belief, of who throws their hat in the ring. Because the money associated with Liv is still those gigantic dollars for winning those tournaments and for placing high in those tournaments and for having your team farewell in those tournaments. It's enormous money, Nate Dog. And the odds for your standard PGA Tour pro who maybe doesn't have the results that he wants this week in Sea Island, the odds of getting through that qualification are not bad. So you're going to get, as you said, you're going to get sort of launched into that last uh, round or two. And so I think we're going to see a lot of guys jump in to that turn. Why wouldn't they? I mean, this is, I will be dialing up. I don't know if they're going to put it on the CW. I know they're putting it on the Live YouTube channel, but I'm going to have all that streaming in place. And as the details emerge of the guys that are going to be competing in this thing, you and I are going to have to do some podcasting, buddy, because I think it's a, it's enormously fascinating. This is the thing that we've been skeptical about all along with Live. These are stakes. Now we're talking about genuine stakes associated with this thing. And of course, they're competing it as stroke play. You know, this is they're 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 this is with cuts, right? So this is right. like a genuine uh, competition. Like, yeah, the the model of of finding three guys that are going to earn their way in. There's only one model that works to to get there, right? We're not effing around. Uh, I no. guess the guys will be able to wear shorts though if they want. But it's in Abu Dhabi. Um, yes, so, so you got to cool get yourself too. to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, but well, but, but otherwise, you just gotta be the third. You know, you finish third, and you get a heck of a paycheck. Heck of a paycheck. Um, so we will be paying attention to that, and we will be back here on Fairway Rolling as that uh, event occurs on the calendar because we'll it coincides nicely with our year end year review. Some some rewards that we'll give out the birdies and the bogeys to all of the competitors on tour or related to the industry of golf. It's going to be a long list of bogeys, I think, but you know, we're positive here on fairway rolling. And I'm positive that this, um, event down at sea islands kind of cool. I'm interested. It's good. There's guys playing. We mentioned at the outset, what some of the stakes are, um, just in terms of setting this up again, uh, um, split course, they play at seaside at plantation. So every guy will play seaside three times because they finish Saturday and Sunday at seaside. Um, but on Thursday and Friday, they split between Seaside and Plantation. And it looks like this weather forecast might be producing some good good draw, bad draw kinds of stuff. But it's still kind of early in the week for us to have a good handle on that. Um, let's talk about some of the players. We mentioned the names, 11 of the top 50, a bunch of the Sea Island Mafia participating. But I want to go down the card and see, pick your brain a little bit, see if we can find some value for our betting buddies out there last chance to gamble on pga tour golf uh, uh on this in this calendar year well i look at this tournament the same way that i look at the Wyndham house which is i want to see the guys right around the cutoff lines and in this tournament unlike the Wyndham, we've got two cut lines the first is can you get in the what will end up being the top 10 guys remaining in the fall, which from a FedEx Cup standpoint means 51 to 60. Those 10 guys play their way into both the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which this year will be an elevated event for the first time, and the Genesis uh, in my backyard at Riviera Country Club and Pacific Palisades, which last year was also an elevated event. And in my mind, a lot of ways is one of the, I don't know, two or three premier non-majors on the PGA Tour. So there's that cut line, but then there is the 125 line, which, as we've discussed, is really a critical number because you're going to get, you're going to be fully exempt if you're inside that 125. That means you're going to get into all of the non-elevated events if you want to next year, and you can sort of set a schedule accordingly. If you're outside that line, 
your life becomes a lot more difficult. 126 to 150, 150 to 200. You've only got conditional status and you're only getting in when some of those guys drop. That's a much tougher life. You get fewer starts. It's harder to play and qualify and get enough FedEx Cup points to, to, to get your card back. So that's a tough stat. Uh, a, a tough place to be, but I look around the edges there. And when I look down at that 125 line house, mm. I see two guys. We talked a little bit early about, uh, earlier about how momentum matters. These are guys who don't play consistently well every week, but you can spot when they're playing well by their results. And the first guy that I'm looking at is sitting there right at 125, six points clear of Henrik Nolander. And, and that's, that's Carl Ewan. And Carl Ewan last week, it turns out, was fourth in Bermuda. So playing very, very well, hitting the ball well. He's got the craziest swing off the tee you've ever seen, and it scares the crap out of you. But this is a guy who I expect is going to play, continue his streak of good play to stay inside that 125 line. And I would say there's another guy who's just next to him, Matty Schmidt, who finished uh, second last week. Matty Schmidt, by finishing second, he moved from 148, almost outside of the 126 to 150 category. He moved from 148 all the way inside to 120. That said, he's only got 444 points. Carl Ewan at 125 has 437 points. So there's only, you know, seven points uh, between those guys. That's less, like, that's basically a 53rd in an event. So... The difference between Norlander, who's 126 just outside the line at 431, and Carl Ewan is only six points. So these are very, very infinitely small margins. Question here is who's playing well? And when I look at the guys around the edge, I see Carl Ewan, I see Matty Schmidt. I love it. And I love it when you get, you know, into the combination of motivational along with uh, the, the momentum. This is how, how we try and produce a little bit of value for all our friends out there, all of our wagering warriors. I have a couple guys where um, a different class, these guys have better status already. Um, and I want the combination of good form plus uh, familiarity at this joint, especially if the weather's going to be a little funky the first couple yep. of days, guys that have yep. the ability to just roll with it. So I keep seeing this name show up and it's a compelling name. Taylor Pendrith, who hits the mm -hmm. goddamn daylights out of the golf ball has mm -hmm. been on a nice little run here. Tied for eighth at the, at Bermuda last week, tied for 15th down in Mexico, tied for third at the Shriners in Vegas has a top 26 and a top uh, uh, tied for 26 and tied for 15th at this event. So, this place has a reputation well-earned for enormous fairways. You can absolutely feel pretty confident unless you hit it off planet earth, you can find a fairway at this joint. So I like the notion of, of a Taylor Pendrith coming in here. Another guy I like um, who fits the mold of comfort at these sort of coastal venues. That's JJ spawn who, um, is a former runner-up in this very event. Um, he also has a, a 15th and a 16th here. And then S sitting you, at 59th inside the line right now. So he's yes. He, he, he's just inside the, the, the top 10 in the fall. And has a nice track record of performances at these sort of coastal venues. He has, hmm. you know, top 20s at the Sony Open. And, you know, had a good performance at the Tournament of Champions. Played Mayakoba well. Also in form. Tied for six at the Zozo. Tied for 11th earlier this fall at the, the, the Fortinet. Um, and the thing with him always is, is just putting. And, you know, that, that has all the variants in the world. So, J.J. Spawn and Taylor Pendrith, two names. I think I'm going to be looking at top 20 plays for them because it'll be okay. their nice little plus plus money. I'm not going to try and get greedy. They have good odds um, to win outright. JJ Spawn is like in the, the um, uh, 50 to one class. Taylor Pendrith, you know, a little bit higher up 70 to one. Um, yeah. Depending, you know, the, the fire up the FanDuel 
sports book and check out these odds. But those are a couple names for me. Uh, any any other names you want to visit? I, obviously, Adam Svensson, the defending champion, um, could be worth a little bit of a look. He channels you know the, the the comfort of the place, right? Yeah. From a win standpoint, I think to me, I look at really four guys. It's Will Ludwig Aberg breakthrough. I love it. Br- Brian Harmon, who's super comfortable here. Eric Cole, who has been knocking on the door all season long and just been the Iron Man. Uh, and JT Poston, who uh, has been pretty much on a tear as he's been playing golf lately and and is comfortable on this course. But really, we're going to have to end this podcast house with one name. Oh. That, um, you know, I just want to say, if if I could offer you a guy who has three top 20s this fall, is 13th overall on tour in shots gained approach, who this fall has had the best measured stretch of shots gained off the tee in his entire career, who is about to set the PGA Tour record for most tournaments played in one season ever at 39, thanks to the double fall, who is sitting at 61st, one slot out of making the two tournaments that are his favorite on tour, the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, where he was engaged on the 18th green, and the uh, Genesis Tournament at Riviera, which is in the backyard of his brother, who probably needs a top 20 to jump from 61 up into the top 10. What would you say to that? I mean, it's a pretty magnificent resume. I love the challenge that's in front of this potential player that you're describing. And based on what I observed over how this player held it together over four rounds at Bermuda, including a back nine run on Friday that had a fantastic eagle. Now he played, you know, the course in reverse form, but you know, we're 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 deep into this potential player that we're talking about. It's a great resume with a great uh, set of incentives built in and you know the the ball striking is undeniable uh i think i didn't get a chance to look i meant to see where his um numbers landed in terms of eagles over this season because he he feels like he's had an, an inordinate number of eagles is it a good number it's an okay number okay i, I will say um look on the downside bogeyed the last two in Jackson to miss out on a playoff by one. Yep. This past week, bogeyed the last hole on Saturday and Sunday, parred the 17th both days to miss out on a top 10. But I think all of the incentives, as you, as you say, are there. He has literally Ironman more than Sung Im this year Amazing. on tour and will hold at least one record on the PGA Tour when it's all said and done that I think will last for eternity based on where golf is going. (laughs) (laughs) That is most tournaments played in one season ever. But that is the one that I'm looking at this week. I am unabashedly rooting hard to see if we can close this deal after the season. Let's fucking go. Let's do this. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're due, baby. This is it. And, and when he knocks this thing out and takes care of the business, we're, he's going to come on the pod, and we're going to we're going to just have a dunk contest. We're just going to have a nice time, you know, putting the ball through the hoop uh, together, the nice easy way. After all of that ass kicking, world traveling, national, uh, uh, you know, United Airlines traveler of the year. Let's get this homeboy across the goal line, Nate Dog. Let's go. Let's go. All right, my birdie buddies, my eagle enthusiasts, my par saving pals. I hope we gave you enough to chew on there. Lots of fascinating stuff happening in the world of golf. I mentioned it. We are definitely coming back early December to talk about this unbelievably fascinating live qualifier thing. And we'll have a lot more perspective on how the future of the business of golf might be playing out. We also hopefully will be having an interview with one particular player playing this week at Sea Island. Something to look forward to. I hope all of you are looking forward to playing a little bit of fall golf. The foliage is at peak 
here in the mid-Atlantic, throw a peg in the ground, and if you're able to do so, please, let's head up straight out there.